Thank you all so much. We feel the love, we feel the strength. And you know what? We are, we are blessed to be able to run this race with you. Because we, we feel like you are our family. And so we love you and we bless you. So thank you. I mean, thank you for those prayers. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, I, I say this about the bride of Christ, the same thing I say about my, my bride. Uh, I've never worked a day in my life being married to her. Uh, it was, it's never been hard, ever, being married to her. And uh, I hear people, I hear people, and I, I, I just, I'm like, well, I don't know, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that, but it's easy to love my wife, and, and um, I've, never, I, I've never had a bad day. I've never had a bad day, never, never, maybe a bad second or two. Uh, but that's it. That's it. And I feel the same way about the bride of Jesus. Uh, I feel like it's an honor. I tell you, uh, if those of you who weren't here to celebrate my birthday, I turned 50, and, and, I, and I said, uh, I never expected to live past 32, honestly. I thought I'd be dead or in prison. And so any day past that is just the grace of God and, and the glory, all for it, the glory of God. And so when, when I consider all that he has done with a life that I thought would have been thrown in the trash and disposed of, I stand amazed and humbled by what he has done. And, and I tell you this to tell you that if God can use me, God can use anybody. I say that honestly. I, I, I was no good to the core, to the core. I still don't know that I'm any good. But because I know, yes, I think, I think Christians, we got to get a hold of this. we got to stop thinking we're okay. Man, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of Jacob that lives in me. He scares me. And so, uh, thank you for, our, for supporting the vision of heaven for this region. We believe, God, we believe that God is just getting started. He's just getting started with what he wants to do. And I tell you, church, don't, don't, be, a, don't be nervous or anxious about the times we are in. It, these times are amazing. At any moment, I want to tell you, at any moment, the trump could sound. I'm telling you, we're at the end of the end right now. And I want to encourage you to stay close to, to Jesus. Stay in Jesus. Don't come out. We're too close to the end now. You can't be, you got to get your kids in. You got to get your aunts, your uncle. You got to tell them the truth and you can't be Mickey Mousing around. You know, you just can't be delicate with it. You got to tell them, listen, man, there's a way that seems right to, to in, in the heart of man, but that way is death. But the way to life is Christ. And you got to get in Jesus. You got to just tell them the, the facts. You know, I don't care if you don't believe in Jesus. Whether you believe or not is insignificant. Uh, the, he is He is real, and He is coming soon. And so you better get your life right right now. You better get inside of Him. You better run to Him right now. There's no time to be playing around. 
in, in your faith. No time to be moonwalking like Michael Jackson today. No time to be, you know, taking it easy at the club and kicking it. And no time to be messing around with the bottle or the, or the, you know, other thing. It's time to get in and it's time to stay in. That trumpet could sound at any second right now. You got you to gotta wake up. I pray your spirit wakes up. I pray your spirit come alive right now. Wake up. And you got to, listen, it's, it's time for a generation. Listen, uh, you know, like, I never thought in all my life we would be where we are today, that I would turn on the news and I would see what I'm seeing right now. It's as if we have went back to the 1930s. And I don't know that you understand it, church, but if you don't know where you stand in this world today, you better stop kneeling and start standing for Christ. And I want you to know that Christ is married to his bride. And God said, if you bless Israel, I'll bless you. But if you curse Israel, listen to me now. He said this. This is in the Bible. You got to hear me. He said, if you curse Israel, he said, I'll curse you. And so we better figure out, church, where we stand. And we better go wake up a generation that is the heritage of the Lord because they're, they're now picketing on the, on the grounds of Washington in place of, in place of terrorism against the, the nation of Israel. That's a bad place to be. It's time for the nation to wake up. It's time for us to shake the heritage of the Lord out of their slumber. It's time to tell them the truth. We've allowed this world to indoctrinate them. It's time to take back the gates of hell. All right. So I say thank you for uh, for supporting the vision of heaven over this region. And we believe, yeah, I got to take the offering now. And it's 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 eleven fourteen. So thank you. It's an honor to it's an honor to serve. It's an absolute honor to serve. I love you all. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's receive the offering today. As you are here, uh, once again, thank you for supporting this ministry, and most importantly, God's vision in this ministry. Uh, our goal this year is to sow one million dollars into our congregation. That is our goal. I don't know where we are on that goal. I just know that we work hard week in and week out to make sure that we live by seed and never by need. And I want to tell you that you can increase your harvest if you increase your seed. You can increase the harvest, and the harvest is greater than, than, than money. And what, you, what the church is going to need in the days to come is not money. They're going to need the presence and the deliverance and the power of heaven to be on their side. So I'm telling you right now, don't fall in love with your bank account. That stuff's going to go away pretty soon. It's time to start falling in love with Jesus. Give to Jesus what belongs to Jesus today. Get out of your mind that all the church wants is your money. No, no. All God wants is your heart. Ask, God, ask yourself, does God have my heart? The Bible says wherever your treasure is, that's where he'll find your heart. Ask yourself, where is your heart today? And, and if, it, if, it's, if it's in your bank account, that, that your, it, it can't be trusted. And so it's time, to, it's time to purchase what only faith can purchase. And I pray over your giving today as you hold it up. And those watching online, I pray over your giving today. And as you give, I declare this over your gift and over your, over your seed as you sow it. And I pray you to believe for something powerful with it. Pray for more. Pray for more. Believe for more. If you believe for your children to be saved, now begin to believe for your children's children to be saved. Now just begin to attach to it a, a, a seed of faith that says, I believe, God, that you're going to do the impossible.
the incredible, the absolute ridiculous with, with what I sow today. And as you sow it, I declare that it comes back to you not in the form of which you sowed it, but it comes back looking like heaven. I declare heaven revealed in your, in your marriages, heaven revealed in your families, heaven revealed in your heart. I pray peace, joy, healing, deliverance, victory. I pray right now, I, I declare in Jesus' name, addiction falling off of God's people, of God's people's children. I pray the spirit of addiction and indoctrination, the lies of the enemy that are, that are, that are over our children be broken now. The light of God, go, go now. We send the light of your word, the light of your presence, the Holy Spirit conviction to go now, arrest the children and the heritage of the Lord and bring them to their knees to Christ. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, go with me to Amos, Amos 7. Stick your finger there for a minute. And, and, uh, and I'm going to try to be as, you, know, you need to vote no on issue one if you haven't already voted. <clears throat> Amos 7. Repentance corrects what sin defects. Repentance will correct what sin has damaged in your life. Sin has a way. I need your attention. They're just passing, they're just passing that, that little thing there. I need your attention. Sin has a way of weakening your foundation very subtly. It's not what the, the, the foxes, the little foxes. It's the little, it's the little nudges, disregarded as inconsequential. It's the little glance. It's the little gossip. It's the little thought. It's the little imaginations of your heart that subtly, ever so subtly, weaken the foundation of your faith and create a potential for the entire temple that God is building in you to come crumbling down. Amos is a, is a shepherd. About 760, 790 B.C. In the reign of Jeroboam in the, in the north. God wakened the heart of this prophet who was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer. And he sends him to King Jeroboam. And in the passages up to chapter 7, there are these warnings of Amos where he's calling the nations that surround Israel to repent. He's saying to them, listen, God's, not, God's done playing. 
God's finished. He, you, you've, you've expired God's grace. You've, you've disproportionately used more grace than truth in your life. You're, you're, you're attempting to manipulate God, and he's not having it. So he's, he's crying out, repent, repent. Jesus' first words in this ministry was, repent. Something's amiss in the kingdom. And I tell you, I think it's because we entered the narrative incorrectly as believers. You see, we, we refer to ourselves as Christians rather than disciples. But Jesus always referenced his disciples as disciples. Which means they enter the narrative with the understanding that there is yet work to be complete and there will always be work that he's working on inside of me. I am being discipled. But if we enter the narrative thinking it's done, it's a lock. Everything's fine. I'm going to heaven. I, no, that's the wrong way to enter your faith. The proper way to enter your faith is how Jesus suggested you and I are disciples. We are learners of Christ. And the day we decide we're done learning and now we're knowing is the day of our demise. The day we fail to live with a heart of repentance. You say, but I'm saved. I don't need to repent. I would say otherwise. I would say we must live every day with repentance. We must live every day with a constant observation of perhaps I might be doing this and approaching God incorrectly. Perhaps the insolence of my heart and the pride in my heart has allowed me to approach God in a way that is displeasing to him. Perhaps. Perhaps the way I'm approaching God is an offense to God. And this is where Israel was. They had become apathetic in their worship. They had become lovers of, of pleasure and comfort. They had become indifferent to the world around them, the, the lost around them, the hungry, the starving, the widow, the orphan. They had become indifferent. They had become lukewarm. They were walking in the middle, enjoying the blessings and grace of God while ignoring the holy standard of heaven. And so Amos goes and he tells Israel, he begins to say, repent or God's going to take the temple columns and he's going to cause them to fall. They don't listen. He declares their exile and just as Amos says it happens. That is a historical fact. Check it. Just like he said. But at the end of Amos, 
there is this amazing passage where he, he, he says, but I'm not done. And I want you to grab hold of that today. If you and I will repent, we can grab hold of chapter 9 where he says, but I will restore the house of David. I will put it all back together. If my people will come back. But what I want to point your attention to here is chapter 7. Verses 7 and 9, he said, he showed me. Amos said, he showed me. Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line. Some of us might not recognize or know what a plumb line is because our modern day tools have replaced this with what we would call a, a level. Any, any builders know what I'm talking about? It's a level, right? And so you put that level, and there's a little bubble in there, and you put that level. But back in the, in the day before the, the technology of the level, there was this plumb bob. That, that God says, I'm now, I'm now hanging a plumb bob from heaven. I'm hanging a plumb line from heaven to the earth. He said, the Lord stood. The Lord holds this plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And Amos said, I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line. I'm setting a holy standard. He said, I'm setting it in the midst of my people and I will not pa pass by them anymore as I have, I've offered them repentance. I've given them time. I've, I've, given them, I've given them warning. I've told them it's time to repent. I've over and over said it's time to repent, but I shall not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. He's speaking to leadership. I don't want any worship today at the end of the service. I don't want any of the team to go up. Today, it is how? It is time. As Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 5, he said, I'm, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter 4, 17, he said, the time has come. The time has come for judgment to begin. Where? The house of the Lord. It's time. And if it begins with us first, what shall, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? This is Peter saying this. It's time. It's time for judgment to come. It's time for the measuring line of heaven to fall in the church. And it's time to repent. You see, there's a holy standard. The plumb line is the image of God's righteous and holy standard that Israel failed to embody in their private lives. And as believers, I want you to know, there is a holy standard for those who call themselves disciples of Jesus. There is a holy standard. Men, there is a holy standard. How a man... 
how a husband is to love his wife. There is a holy standard how fathers ought to raise their children. Wives, there is a holy standard how wives ought to love their husbands. There is a holy standard set by heaven on the earth held by the hand of the Lord that dictates to us what is right and what is wrong. And it doesn't matter what laws are passed by Jeroboam. It doesn't matter what this world declares is right. It doesn't matter if they say it's okay. Young people, hear me. It doesn't matter what culture says is right. What matters is the holy standard of God that is held by the hand of the Lord that comes to the earth and says, if you call yourself by my name, it doesn't matter what the world does. This is the standard for your life. You cannot call good what I call evil. You cannot bless what I said shall never be blessed. You cannot say that there are more than two genders. I never said that. There is a holy standard that falls from my hand to the earth and determines what is truth. It doesn't matter what the college campuses say. It doesn't matter that the nations rage. What matters is that there is in the hand of the Lord, there is a holy standard of righteousness and justice that shall roll down the hill like water. Contrary to the Jeroboam's dictates in this world. And we want to pass laws for our lukewarm hearts so we can appease our conscience in moments of temptation and moments where we have failed the holy standard of God. But I want you to know it does not matter what laws are passed in Rome or by Jeroboam. It does not matter. What matters is there is a holy standard. And if we fail, we can repent. You see, what the plumb, what the plumb line does is it lets us know. You know. And I want to encourage you. You might say, this is not very encouraging, Pastor. It's going to get better. But this plumb line, you know what it does? It's for building. Yeah, a plumb line's built. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to see the hope of God. I want you to see that God showed us a plumb line. If you can see the standard of God, if conviction grips your heart right now, I want you to know He's building something in you. Oh, I want you to know He's busy building something in you. If conviction grips your heart when you say the words or when you see the thing or when you, when you think the thing, if conviction grips your heart, I want you to know He is building something in you. Here's what Peter says he's building. First Peter 2, 5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's building. He's building. You, unlike the temple that Amos went and said would fall down, 
because the standard had been compromised. Unlike that temple, we are living stones. We are the temple of God now. And the warning still remains. Make sure that the plumb line, you see what a plumb line does? It's a building tool that's used to determine the vertical straightness, ensuring integrity and vertical truth. Yeah, yeah. So when you set your life up against it, you say, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm straight. We should say that back in the day. What's up, man? I'm straight. We should bring that back as the church, you know what I mean? That's what's up. That's some Clearview stuff right there, you know what I mean? Go, let's go Clearview, by the way. Give it up for the Clippers. Come on, man. Hey, how about them Clippers? <laughs> Southview Saint. Southview Saint up here. Southview Saint. They was always beat up. They was always, they had a black eye and everything. forgot where I was going. Oh, I'm straight. I'm straight. I'm straight. I'm straight. I'm straight. How you doing? I'm straight. You straight? I'm straight. You straight? I'm straight. I'm straight. What does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I, I, the plumb lines on my life. I look up. I look down. I see the mark. I'm there, man. I'm straight. This plumb line. The plumb line that God uses in the life of the disciple of Christ is this. The word He'll use the plumb line of the word. So Christ, Christ revealed Christ, the Lord holding the plumb line. He'll use his word for your life to determine whether or not you're straight or you're not straight. You're not, you're not, you're not on the line. You're over six inches. Well, that's cool. It's just six inches. It's cool. It's just, it's just a little this. It's just a little that. It's just one time. It's not a big deal. You know, I just have a little, di- I just take a little, I just do a little, I just go there a little, I just think that, I just, it's just, don't, don't, then you're tripping. Why are you being all religious? Why are you being a holy, why are you being so judgmental? Listen, man, I'm just looking out. I need to make sure you're straight. I need to make sure that you're upholding the righteous standard of God over your life. Are you straight, man? Now, when I look at you and I ask you, are you straight? I'm asking you, are you compromising the word of God over your life? Have you compromised it? Have you scooted yourself over six inches to the right and you are, you are approaching God in pretense? Any builder knows if you don't lay that foundation straight, The integrity of the structure now is compromised. And the higher you go, the more compromised you become. And the further away from the standard of God you go until one day your entire life comes crashing to the ground. And you say, I can't believe how far away I got God, Jesus will use his word as the tool to determine your straightness. If you're straight, that word will speak to you. Jesus will use his presence. If Listen, 
You want to know why. Listen, here's, here's the philosophy of ministry. People always want to know. You know, there was compliments paid to us earlier. And they said, man, we just love it here. The presence of God is here. And I said, well, we fight for that. We fight for that. And we don't let the agenda of man or the inconvenience of a clock determine when Jesus shows up or how he shows up. The worship team knows, the prayer team knows, the elders know. The one objective is this one thing. We don't have church for you. I just want you to know we don't have church for you. We don't, we don't, we don't. If we have church for you, woe unto me. Woe unto us if we have church for us. If we form our gatherings in the image of what satisfies us, woe unto us. Because what we need in this hour is the presence of the Lord. So we have it for him. We've come to celebrate him. If there be no anointing in the room, we don't go forward. If there be no anointing on the keys, we, don't, we just keep going until he shows up. We repent and we live in repentance. Why? Because we need the presence of the Lord. We don't need the talent of man. We don't need the influence of man. We don't need likes and hearts. What we need is the presence of Jesus. So he'll use his presence. He'll use his presence and he'll say, when his presence is near, you know what his presence will do? It'll push you back. It'll push you back. You know what the word will do? It'll push you back. It'll push you back to being straight. You straight, I'm straight now. I came in a little, I came a little off. But, I, but you gave me a word, and man, that word just pushed me straight. I came a little off, man. I came a little off. But the presence of Jesus was on that song that Ashley was singing. And man, when she sang it, she took me to church. She took me to the presence of Jesus. And now I'm straight. Now I'm straight. I wasn't straight before. Why you need to come to church? Why you need to come to church? Because you ain't straight, man. You're a little off. You need to get here. His presence is here. His presence will make you straight. And he'll use the Holy Spirit, the word, presence of Jesus, Holy Spirit, the conviction. He'll use the conviction. And you need conviction. Conviction, conviction makes repentance God's gift. You hear me? Conviction is a gift given to us. That opens the door. You know, when you, when you feel convicted, don't resist it. Just walk through the door of repentance and accept it. And say, oh man, I take that, I take that as a nudge into it. Oh, I was off. I was off. You're right. You're right, Holy Spirit. I was a little off there. I was, that was 99% right, but I was 1% off. And 1% off, you see, if I'm going to get to the height that God called me to, I can't risk being 1% off. It, it seems inconsequential now, but I want you to know God. God's taking you higher. God's taking you higher. God wants to take you higher. And he can't take you higher if you're letting 1% take you off. So you got to get straight, man. You got to get straight. So, here, here. I, wanted, I want you to check your life for plum. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to check our life for plum. How do you check your life for, for plum? Here's what you do. You... You take your thoughts and you put them next to the standard. You take your imaginations and you put them next to the standard. You take your desires, you put them next to the standard. And you take 
your behavior. We want to focus on behavior, but let me walk you back to thoughts. Right? Thoughts. As a believer, as a disciple of Christ, we must constantly, you know this, you've you've read these texts, but listen to me. It says this, thoughts are these. Thoughts are ideas or opinions formed by experience or learning. You want to know what's wrong with young people today? They've been indoctrinated with the wrong thoughts. They have the wrong thoughts. And because they have, see, the enemy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. If I can indoctrinate their thoughts, their thoughts, look at what the Bible says about their thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5, you know this. It says you must cast down arguments and every high thing, circle that, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, you've got to start paying attention to the thoughts that you have that argue with God. Because the Bible there says you have, you got to cast down thoughts that argue against God's thoughts. So every one of us have thoughts that come to us that argue, your carnal nature has thoughts. It creates thoughts in your mind that will argue against the thoughts of God. And if you and I don't start paying attention to those thoughts, we start building, we start building ourselves away from the standard. We start building something unholy. We start, we literally start, we start picketing. We, we start picketing on Washington, D.C. We start, we start, we, we compromise. When we, when we allow wrong thoughts in, we don't, we don't, we, those arguments, we compromise. You see this all the time, right, doctor? You see, you see Christians arguing for the right to murder the unborn. Why? Because they did not, they failed to take thoughts captive. They failed to take their thoughts, lay it up next to the standard of Jesus in his word, in his person, and in the Holy Spirit. They failed to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the, the conviction of the presence of Jesus, and the conviction of the word to grip their heart and move them back to straight. And so they began to build an unholy structure, temple. They build a temple now for the glory of Satan. So you've got to pay attention to your thoughts. We have to pay attention to our learning that it antagonizes God. So thoughts. Take your thoughts every day. Take them captive. Put them next to the Word, the person, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, you've got to take your imagination and put it next to the holy standard of the Lord. The holy standard of the Lord. Not the world. Your imagination. You said, well, what's the difference between thoughts and imagination? I'm glad you asked. Imagination is this. And if you ask me, this is where most men miss. This is where, oh, this is where the enemy got you. This is where he got you. Because what the imagination does, it's the act of taking thoughts. You take thoughts now, you don't take them to the cross. You don't take them to the holy standard of God. Instead, 
you allow your creative genius to form images in your mind. And those images that you allow, they either create the temple of God or they create the temple of Satan. There's no middle. So he captivates. He uses our thoughts. Wrong thoughts. And then what he wants to do is take those thoughts. And a man has this incredible ability. Because we're vision based. We're vision stimulated. And, and women, if you knew this about your man, you would encourage him. You have to encourage his vision. You have to hold him and say, no, no, you've stopped. I, I have not heard you say something about what God is creating for a long while. I need you to start talking about the vision of God for your life. If your man's not talking about the vision, if he's not, if he's not building something, creating something, if he's not out there putting something together, if he's not in the garage building something, if he's not running around trying to construct something, put something together, something's wrong. In the heart of a man, this is where the enemy will take and manipulate him. Look at what the Bible says here in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was continually evil. So what was man doing? He was using his thoughts to create images that were contrary to what God's thoughts and images were for the earth. So then anytime we use our thoughts to create an image other than what God has intended, we sin. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. If you just look at a woman with lust, what does the look do? The, the look creates an image. And if you take that image now, and you begin to build upon that image. Suddenly now you've taken yourself away from the holy standard of God. And you've created an image in your mind that is so powerful that it will move you in the direction of that. You see, we are either creating the image of God or Satan with our thoughts. With our imaginations. We must be conscious of the images we draw within. Because that becomes our destiny. Anytime when God wants to speak to a matriarch or patriarch, he would ask them, what do you see? Look up, Abraham. Look, look, prophet. Look, what are you seeing? Vision. Imagination. Create the image of God. Take your imagination to the holy standard. Repent immediately of Im images. Repent immediately of images that fight against God's will for your life. Oh, I, I take that to the cross. I will not allow that image to remain. God, take that image out of me. You're not in control of your first thought. Hear me. You're not in control of your first thought, but you are of your second. Every one of us are. And let me tell you this. If you take more control over your first thought, your first thought will become God thoughts. Take control of your thoughts and your imaginations. Number three, desire. You must take our desires to the holy standard. Desires are your wants and your longings, your passions, your desire. 
Here's what the Bible says of desire. Psalm 37, 4, you know this. You know this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires, which means as long as you stay straight, your desires will stay straight. But if you delight yourself in something other than the Lord, then your desires will be off. Your desires will be, will be compromised. So delight yourself. So, so take your desires. James 1.15, look at what it says of desire. When desire has done what? When desire has done what? Conceived. You need to understand that your desire wants to, it, your desire wants to grow. <laughs> desire naturally wants to be intimate and it seeks an opportunity for intimacy. Your desire. See, see, this principle I know, this principle I know. If I, if I desire something long enough, if I stare at an image long enough, it creates a desire in me and whether I want it or I don't want it, somehow it shows up at my front door. This happened recently at my birthday, my 50th birthday. I said, no, I'm not going to do it, but every day I'd be staring at it. Every day I'd be looking at it. Every day I'd be looking at it. Every day my wife would see me looking at it. She'd see me looking at that thing. And and you know what? On my 50th birthday, that thing showed up at my front door. I said I wasn't going to do it. But desire is that way. If you'll create an image in your heart, this works for the kingdom. If you'll create an image in your mind of the life that you say, I want in Jesus, then it will create a desire in your heart. And God said, I will give you the desires of your heart. And the enemy knows that principle. So what he does is he tries to create thoughts. He tries, tries to create imagination. And he tries to create desires to bring to your doorstep destruction. Destruction. Desires. So understand that we must pay attention to our wants and our longings. We must intentionally wear the sign of the mark of Christ on our life to remind us to keep our desires only in Christ. This this principle is found in Numbers 15.39. Go there. Numbers 15.39. Look at this. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen Orthodox Jews? They have these tassels. I always thought they were dope. I was like, man, I'm going to go get me some tassels. I want some tassels, you know, and they got these, they got these little fringy tassels go about to ride in their knees and they wear them. And I thought that's, that's pretty interesting. What do those things represent? Those things they represent, those tassels that are there to remind them of the holy standard of God for their life. So they look down and they, wherever they're at, if they're far away from God, they look down and those tassels are a public, they, they're out there for God to see in everybody, but they identify them. You can immediately, when I see the tassels, I know you belong to him. So if I see you acting in a way that ain't straight, I can tell you, I can say, hey man, that's, you're not straight. You straight? No, I'm not straight. You, them tassels, them tassels, hey bro, you better get to the standard of God. 
God. You're not doing all right. Those tassels are there. What does that mean? We bear the mark of Christ on our life. Our faith must become more, must become more public and less private. It's time for many of us to begin to speak boldly the name of Jesus, to declare outright, this is the, this is the standard for my life. See, a lot of, uh, many Christians today are hiding in a closet. They're hiding in a closet and they're keeping their, their, their faith a secret. And God said, if you, if you won't profess me before men, then I won't profess you before my Father. And, and God's calling us out of the closet now as Christians. And He's telling you, it's time to make a stand publicly for Christ. It's time to stand boldly or for family. It's time to stand boldly for the sacredness of life. It's time to make the stand that the Bible says. It's time to wear your faith out. Wear the holy tassels of God. I'm going to go get me some tassels this week. This week I'm going to get them. Desire wants to conceive. It, it, it wants, and what it's looking for is an opportunity. It just needs an opportunity. So it seeks a private, intimate opportunity. You see, sin will come to you. At first, it will come to you when nobody sees it. It will entice you when nobody's looking. And it will grab you. But sin has one goal, and that's to shame you. That's to expose you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Whenever your desires become the desires of this world, get to the standard. Get to the standard. And then last, your behavior. Take our behavior to the standard. Now, your behavior is your being. Your being. Who you be. Don't get weary of me. Just look at me. Stop telling yourself you're not what you do. That's a lie. Your words, our words, are cheap. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you are exactly what you do. People are what they do. This idea that you can, that you can be something different than what you do is self-deception. If you are a drug addict, you do drugs. If you are a fornicator, you do sex outside of marriage. If you are something, you do something. And we are always attempting to fix our behavior by what we do. We say, if I could just stop doing that, then I will, be, I will be okay. I want to encourage you, church, to stop trying to fix what you do and try to start to fix who you be. If you'll fix who you be, you'll behave differently. 
But if you just keep trying to fix what you do, you'll always keep doing what you're doing. Your doing comes from your being, and it's time for the church to start being Christ. It's time for the godly to begin to be in Christ. Stop trying to do Jesus and try to be in Jesus. We're trying to do Jesus. You don't want to need to do. I'm not here to do church. Woo! Woo! I want to do church. I want to be Jesus. I want Jesus to be so in me that I that people can't tell who it is. I want people to look, I want my shadow to walk by and my being uh, that's found in my shadow to make them to rise up and be well. I want my being to be in Christ. Acts 17, 28 says this, for in Jesus we live, we move, and we have our being. My being is in Jesus. So you got to pay attention to your doing because your doing tells you who you be. Your being, look at me, your being is formed by your abiding. I can tell you who you are by where you abide, where you live. It don't matter you come to church on Sunday. I can tell you who you are based on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Where do you abide? I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I abide in Jesus. If you find Jesus as your habitation and not your visitation, then your being will be easy. I can't quit it down. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop smoking. I can't stop doing these things because you visit him and you don't abide in him. If you will, if you will just tell yourself that I'm not coming out of him, that I'm not going to the ecosystems of this world for my pleasure, that I'm done carousing, I'm done looking, I'm satisfied by the presence of Jesus. I'm going to abide in his word. I'm going to abide in his presence. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit speak when he speaks. Then you'll stop doing. But as long as you keep visiting for an hour and a half, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never be able to do better. You must be better. If you repair your being, you'll repair your doing. You repair your being by the holy standard of God. In closing, nobody move. You can play something back there that Jesus loves. Ask him what he likes. Keep the walls plumb. Keep the walls of your life plumb. Ask yourself... Ask yourself this. Any life that is not true, it's not straight, ask yourself, is my life straight? Every day, is my life straight? So any life that is not straight, 
must be torn down and rebuilt. Rebuilt as Christ as the standard. So the prayer is this, Lord, tear down any place. Come on, close your eyes right there by your heart. Lord, I pray this prayer. Lord, I I pray tear down any place in my life that is not straight. Any place that is not meeting the standard, the thoughts, the mindsets, the habits, the relationships of your word, of your spirit, and of your person. Tear, I give you permission. I give you permission here in private with you to tear it all down and rebuild me. Come on, ask God. Rebuild me. Rebuild me, God. Rebuild me, God. He is the God of the rebuild. He is the God of restoration. He said, your ladder shall be greater. This is what he speaks over you now with your eyes closed. He declares over your life, your ladder, the ladder glory of your life shall be greater than your former. He's going to put the temple back together. God, I want you to know God can fix it. He declares over your life, God can fix it. He can fix our wayward children. He can fix our prideful hearts. He can fix our nation. He can fix our families. He, God can put it all back together. He said in his word that on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. He said I'll repair its damages And I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. I declare a rebuild in this room. God rebuild. God rebuild. In Jesus' name. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. It's going to be a little different today. It's going to be a little different today. Because as leaders, we can't lead without repentance. And I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing on the internet. I don't even want to say his name, but there was this great prayer. And all of a sudden, these accusations come out. You know what I'm talking about, Elder? I'm so tired. I'm tired, y'all. I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of the pretense of the fake. I'm so sick of oil that is watered down, man. I'm so done with it in the house of the Lord. 
I'm so tired of a of, of fire that, that barely burns for God. I'm so done with it, man. I'm so done with, with children that, that don't want to love the Lord because, because they see the compromises of their parents. I'm so tired of the heritage of God being laid on the altar of our comfort, our apathy, and, and our disinterest. got to stop. It's got to stop in the house of the Lord. It must stop, and it must stop now. There must rise from this, this pile of rubble a temple that holds the fire of God, that holds the oil of God so genuinely, with such tenderness and sacredness and such reverence and awe that it will not, it will not let go. And the moment, the moment we feel in our heart the conviction, we run to the standard and we grab hold of it and we say, God, no, I take my thoughts captive. I give you my imaginations, God. I give you my desires. I give you my being, God. So I'm going to ask today, not for the congregation, but for the leaders, to come to the altar now and repent. You say, I got nothing to repent of, then stay there where you're at. But we all do. And there's nothing more authentic and genuine than a church whose leaders Run, run to the altar to say, God, oh God, won't you search my heart? Won't you search my heart, oh God? Won't you search my heart? Fathers, you are leaders. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats and get to the altar, to the place of repentance and say, God, I run to the standard for my life. I run to your word. I run to your presence. I run. Holy Spirit, I feel the conviction of the Lord. I come. I come to your presence and I say, God, I'm not straight, but make my life integrous. Make my life straight I come to you today I declare over everyone here today we make this altar a place where we lay down our pride our ego our self-interest all that reeks of the flesh God today and we say when we rise up again we shall be made new in you we shall be found to be in the glorious one called Christ we are disciples of Jesus we are not yet what we shall be but we are not what we were I declare I declare God a greater becoming. I declare a greater being of Christ falls upon the church of the living God in this hour. Such oil. I pray a richness of oil, a richness and a depth of oil fall upon every person on this altar today. Such richness and depth of oil, such oil that it oozes from them, God, that they walk with a standard of truth and grace that matches Christ, that they will not compromise the standard, the holy standard of God for their life, but they will 
will live outwardly. Their lives privately will be lived in public. That who they are behind the door shall be who they are out in public. The tassels of the Lord are there. The evidence of Christ, the mark of Christ be upon you. I declare in Jesus' name, you increase in your anointing. You increase in your favor. You increase in your wisdom. You increase in your revelation. Your song becomes stronger. Your wishes and desires become His. I declare in Jesus' name, the favor of God, the anointing of God be upon your people today. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can you put your hands together for Jesus, church? God bless you today. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. Thank you for being a part of our service today. We love you. Praying for you. Thank you. God bless you.